Roberto, you and I had quite a few conversations over the years, right? And I never, I don't think we've ever had the chance to record it and share it with the public. So uh, this is a first. Welcome on the show. Which is, it's kind of as a shame, right? Uh, because we possibly that well, there was some gold nuggets over there. But uh, thank you for having me. Lasha. Yeah, nice yeah. Today we will try to immortalize that inspiration. So we'll, we'll yeah, yeah, try, try, to find, try to find those nuggets. So you've been speaking at many, many events over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people know you in the data space. Mm-hmm. One question I don't think I ever asked you, how did you get into the world of data? Oh, that's, uh, that's a good one. Um, so... How did it happen? Data was a bit of a gestation in my head. And um, you need to know that I come from, my background gives me some versatility. Let's, uh, let's put it this way. So at school in Italy, I was, um, I didn't go for the scientific kind of um, more uh, avenue. I went more into the scholastic one. So I spent five years doing managing Latin, Greek, philosophy, history. So um, a very humanistic kind of a background, but um, I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I went, when I, <laughs> unfortunately was, the issue was that I couldn't fit in a plane. Uh, at the time in Italy, they were uh, flying the F-104, which basically is a pipe with a hole for the pilot. And I, I tried the cockpit and couldn't go more than my knees into it. So I had to, you know, settle for uh, the um, aeronautical engineering uh, um, at university. Although my mom wanted always me to go to, to be an archaeologist. Uh, that's kind of a, it's been a bit of a dichotomy in my head for a while. Then um, coming out of university, I, there was no jobs going in, uh, in aeronautics. And so I had to recycle myself as a IT guy. And I started from the lowest possible level, help desking. Not in terms of, I don't want to belittle that, but it's very much the entry step, which I actually, I suggest and recommend everyone to go through because it gives you a very wide perspective of what really IT should do, right? Because you are in touch with the customer, so to speak. But over the years, through my different roles and different blue chips, I mean, there was always this kind of a mantra that IT people are developing. We are IT, data is yours. Business, you manage data, we manage the, the boxer, the container. And I felt that as a limitation. And it was a limitation that at a certain point in my career almost got me fired because guess what? I was trying to deliver this thing, which was a very important dashboard. And why couldn't I put this dashboard live? Because the two people that were signing, supposed to sign off my dashboard were in disagreement on the definition of one thing. And we've been going back and forth six months on that. So the when I went to, uh, so I went down through this technical uh, route, but I was getting more and more involved from, let's say, the business side. And uh, a certain day in NG Capital, we I met Basel II. And Basel II, for the people who are not knowing financial services, was the first regulation in, in financial services really very hungry for data. Uh, there is a story that says that the problems that were found uh, at the at the core of the you know the uh, the the scandals and the crisis in 2008, one of those problems, one of those issues was found because people were starting calculating stuff in in, in Basel II, and the technical was saying this can't be possible, this can't be possible, um, and in reality, in reality it was possible. There was a big hole there. Um, but then, uh, and so Basel II gave me the exposure to certain aspects of the technical part or for delivering a business outcome. They were pushing in the direction of, I need someone as expert 
in not just in the technical bit, I need someone expert in the definition, what it is. I need someone that can tell me how to validate what I find in the systems and tell me really that what it is in the system is conformed to reality. So long story short, uh, the first time I saw in front of me a job description for a chief data officer, I literally felt uh, I, I, I was falling on the road to Damascus. I saw the light. I said, that's what I want to do uh, when, I'm go when I grow up. And <laughs> that's, that's how, and I never looked back since. So it's a, it's a journey of passion. Now back to my Greek kind of understanding, passion comes from pathos and pathos is suffering. Right, so, so if you're passionate to, for something, you will end up suffering because that something is not really adopted and reflected in the people around you. But it's a journey that I believe um, historically is putting most of us in the right moment, the right place in history and time uh, and space, possibly to help humanity to, you know, go to the next step. Mm, this, I actually never noticed this that passion comes from uh, uh, pathos. Or is yeah. that the pronunciation pathos, pathos? Um, well, it depends if you, you wanna, you, the, oh, usually okay. the TH is a, it's a, a theta, which so you, you pronounce it a bit like the third in English. Mm. But yeah, pathos is, and actually in Greek we're saying pathos, which is the suffering, the, 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 the laboring of something intense, bring you to the mathos, which is the learning. And then a new approach with your passion, you learn something because you suffer, you learn something and you embed something bit better in your life to come. So that's, you see, we're going to get to the point in which we say that more or less 25 years of, 25 centuries of history, well, we're still the same. We're still human beings, we're still having the same problems, still learning the same things, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, the human being, the human being and data and the connection. Well, we can explore this yeah. because when yeah. we talk about passion, you're passionate about something. Suffering is one thing, but also if you manage to make that suffering meaningful, right? You can even say that that's the, that, that's the key to life. So we are probably going to go to some philosophical areas as well, which I'm passionate yeah. about too. And I know just from experience, when it comes to that, I talk to so many people and I know you're the same, is that the, the challenges are rarely about technology. It's rarely the technical stuff. It's really about engaging people. So let's maybe take half a step back. What actually makes you so passionate about data? We already touched on it, but over the years, if we reflect on your suffering, what made it meaningful to you? It made it meaningful because it gave me the opportunity to look at problems in a way that never were never looked at before. And a typical example is, uh, you know, we, we've been going through the 90s and probably the early notice, and there was a lot of uh, IT replatforming, IT consolidation, and how many of those have failed? Possibly the majority. Or how many of those basically they were, like, again, from the Latin, we say, how many mountains in the end give birth to a mouse? Because an immense amount of investment, they were actually delivering a, a sub-fraction of, of an organization that was kind of using that thing. The issue is always, once you come from the, the data angle, let's call it like that, you start, and actually even more interesting, the metadata angle, you start to understand that, yeah, if you keep on treating system integration and system consolidation as almost uh, from a plumbing point of view, oh, tell me how, where do I put these two liters of data? And see if the if I put these two liters of data from this system to this system, the things the the pump will work anyway. 
you miss the fact that that system is an enabling process. That process is used by people. People are making decisions. So people are having beliefs. People are having expectations. So taking, bring, looking at metadata as a kind of a conduit to an understanding and creating an ecosystem or, or a context, contextualizing what's happening, gives you, a, I believe, a much, uh, much better chance to deliver what you're expecting. The other aspect is regulations. We are a complex world. We're going to be even more complex. We are, and we can start to talk about all the data protectionistic laws that are coming out, all the uh, expectation from a, a public and having the same kind of power on their data that the companies are having. Again, if you look, if, if I look in, in the past where I was more in financial services and people were keeping on chasing the single regulation, trying to deliver something very piecemeal, but the, the problem was always coming and it's coming even more now from two aspects. Firstly, regulators are talking to, to each other and the, where all your fantastic strategy of responding regulators fails is when two regulators are asking you the same question and you give to them two different answers, right? So they're gonna, they're gonna check with each other and say, hey, what is this guy about? <laughs> and and the, that's, that's one problem. The second problem in uh, managing the regulation is that you, you're, you're never gonna be strategic because regulations are usually physiologically responding to a market problem, right? So if you are chasing the regulations, you're gonna be reactive. And so understanding that the regulators are now telling you something more interesting, which is no longer, please give me the piece of data, please do that, because regulators are treating uh, re regulated entities as, you know, frankly speaking, teenagers that have been t told many, many times to remove the, uh, the, the, the garbage from the floor, to um, put the cupboard in, uh, in a bit more of a better state status. And now regulators are going by principles and saying, hey, man, be tidy. Now, be tidy and demonstrating to be tidy is a much more complex problem if you are not really tidy by principle and everything you do is actually giving you as an outcome the fact you're a bit tidier. So that's where I think coming from a data angle, from coming from a metadata angle, gives you a, a better way to respond to regulation because in a way, if you know at any point in time, at any point in space where your data is, there is no regulation you can't answer. And there's no regulation you can answer in an inconsistent way because you're always gonna know where you stand, which is by the way, the, the, cre the key to be also a resilient organization because if you don't know where you stand, you can't be resilient. Hmm. You mentioned so many good points that, that I, I want to explore. So one thing that you mentioned that you, you don't want to be reactive. You don't want to be just reacting to your circumstances when it comes to regulation. You kind of take the reins and drive things forward and, and, and take ownership of the narrative. Now, just looking at your career, right? Because I know that we haven't really touched on the specific job titles, but if someone looks at your LinkedIn profile, they can see this elevation, progress you quickly got into very senior positions, chief data officer at GE Capital, then chief data officer over at Lloyd's, now data excellence VP at Schneider Electric. So how important do you think was leadership, like actually conscious leadership for you to, to have a vision and drive it forward in a company if you just juxtapose that with the idea that people in data should be just merely a support function and just kind of passively going along with the business and pr provide data where you need it. And how important do you think this really proactive, assertive leadership is? It, proactive and assertive leadership helps you, uh, especially when you, you have to realize that uh, data is not giving the business more dashboards, right? 
as data is a change of lifestyle. Someone was very good at teaching me and nurturing me into data, taught me this very first, very early on. So data is a change of lifestyle, uh, is, uh, is not a fad, and um, you never end. So is you are in a process of permanent augmentation because data is, is, is the lifeblood of um, a digital business and a digital business will never change. So you, keep on, you need to keep on pumping fresh blood, so to speak, right? So, and go back to your question is, the, the difference is really understanding. Once you understand that your is a, a change role, is not a technical role, but in change, there are some technicalities, right? Because when people are too many, too often conf confusing technical with technological role, but because there are technical means that you're, again, we're going back to Greek, techne is basically you, the art, the, a very preci precise profession, right? So professionally, you are a data person. So you know certain things from a professional point of view. Forget for a second that those certain things might be then instigated or in, in, uh, installed in a system. But the reality is there are rules, there are frameworks, there are uh, practices that you know. So once you know that you are, there is a technical background because you need to be a practitioner, but basically your, your agenda is agenda of change, then what is changing is not the walls of an office, it's not the systems really, are the people. And then proactive leadership, so being able to understand sociologically what's going on in an organization, understanding how the organization reacts to learning new things, to unlearning old things, right? Because that's another point. So sometimes to get on the journey of data, you have to let go some things. And that's painful because those things, if you've been 20 years in the company, are your offsprings, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's something you are really attached to. And having someone coming from outside and say, look, it sounds like what you've done for the last 20 years probably wasn't exactly the best thing to do. We should probably try to put away a couple of those and build from you. You need to be uh, empathically connected to people to understand that you are, might have a bad reaction and you need to deal with that. So the proactive thing I was, uh, I was describing, you were describing, I'm actually describing with a new word that someone taught me, which is nemawashi, is actually Japanese. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Japanese is the activity that has to go around in the soil where you're trying to plant a new plant to favor the rooting of the plant. So you need to work around the soil, mm -hmm. you need to prepare the soil. And preparing the soil is you need to work with who's going to receive this beautiful plant that is called data and is going to let it uh, bloom. And those are the people that are gonna need to appreciate what it is. Because like everything in a digital world, if people cannot get the value through the trust of the, pe the person selling them that, basically whatever you're gonna sell them is gonna be perceived as useless. So if I go around and say, look, there's this beautiful algorithm that now is gonna predict, depending on the shoe size of the CEO of the company you're trying to sell to, whether you're gonna sell or not, if people that don't, don't trust me, don't trust the algorithm, don't trust the way the algorithm is done, don't trust what's behind it, it will never, it will never fly. So the proactive leadership, the, the intent you have when you go somewhere and you try, try and try and try again, and sometimes you feel that you're repeating, repeating, repeating message, and you don't know if you're basically reaching the, 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 the boundary of what Einstein was calling insanity, you know, trying and trying again under the same circumstances and expecting a different uh, outcome or literally you are literally two seconds away to win over the inertia of a mechanism and things are starting to move. 
then that's that's probably where it tests your resolve <laughs> mm. and see if your your leadership is will uh, is well placed. Mm. Um, I don't know if I answer completely your question, but maybe we open us a few other doors here. Oh right? yeah, but we always keep opening these doors, and I'm like, okay, which one <laughs> well, should we, are, we go we into? We are becoming <laughs> hypertextuals, right? And we can there are multiple screens happening. Exactly, and and I knew yeah. this was going to happen even before we started the conversation. I, I knew it. We decided we decided we decided not to script it, right? So <laughs> exactly, we, everything can happen. Anything can happen. Yes, anything, it, can happen. anything but linear. Anything but linear. So I'm just like, okay, which door to do? Which door to go into? Okay, so. I, first of all, I love this. You said nemawashi. This this uh, Japanese word. These yes. yeah, yeah, Japanese people have all these good words like kaizen, continuous improvement, nemawashi, yeah. preparing the soil, basically. Right? Is that what yeah. it is? Okay. Yeah. So basically, you're you're working on the soil in a way that when you plant the uh, the uh, the the seedling, uh, that will find a favorable environment to thrive. That's, mm. If you think about it, it's preparing people around to receive data and appreciate data. So it's so, so it's so cool because we literally uh, I remember when, when we agreed to do the podcast it was literally like hey Roberto long time no talk you want to do the podcast you're like yeah one condition no script I'm like deal <laughs> and then now we're talking now it, it's funny why I say this is funny because I talk a lot about on these podcasts about this trinitarian structure of storytelling okay I also I'm I'm also a fan of philosophy so why trinitarian well first of all okay stories we all understand that stories can be your main tool if you know how to use them to change people's perception and action. The moving story, it's about moving an individual from one place to another. Okay. Now I have this, this model that I think is pretty neat to conceptualize. So Trinitarian structure, why? Because when we talk about storytelling, there are three main components. First of all, you have the person who the story comes from, the storyteller, right? So which, what position you're telling your story, it's really important, you know, how you're being perceived and how you're being received. Great. Then the second component is the person you're telling the story to, your target audience. And then the third piece is the story itself shared between the two, right? Actually, if you- The, if you, payload, the payload. Exactly, <laughs> the payload, right? So I actually call it Trinitarian because again, some, some philosophy, maybe a little bit of religion, you know, the, 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 the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that, you know, the, the, the Son proceeds from the Son and then the Holy Spirit is the, is the love shared between them. So I think it's a pretty neat, neat way to conceptualize it. So- uh, I always talk about how when you tell a story, the relationships that you have with the people, that's the soil, right? And you plan the story in there. Now, let's, let's talk about, uh, because I, I want to treat this technical part, um, I, I want to give it its proper due as well before we really go into the people and the storytelling, which I know that, you know, you just have so many great insights. And I mean, I, both in our personal conversations and also at our previous roundtables in Europe, I remember you delivered some amazing, uh, um, uh, like nuggets of knowledge that I want to explore again, but just a technical side. So uh, what do you think right now in 2022, what are the most important components? What, what should uh, data leaders prioritize when it comes to technical knowledge you can even i mean you can say anything right but you, can, you might even say that yeah just go with the flow just get the basics in but i just want to treat it so we can put it aside and focus on the people so so what do you think should be done by a data professional today what kind of direction should they take when they want to be really strong in the technical foundations well now when you say technical you're still talking about technological mm -hmm. right so how we uh, enable what we do, right? Because if I, if I think about what we need to have as a techne, as a structure in our mind, we need to start to think about all the problems we're gonna have from 
multiple angles like you know the ethics of data the the protection the protectionism of data those are creating such huge challenges for us that for a second you might want to hold on on or oh, should I take certification in this cloud thing or should I do this thing in data mesh? Maybe you wanna, you wanna start to understand a bit, if you, especially if you are in a journey, uh, if you are in a moment in which you are really trying to understand strategically, how do I position myself in the next five years? I mean, the next five years, the way we're gonna do data is gonna be less and less, oh, let's put some pipe here and there, but it will be more, more and more, how do I understand exactly the mechanism that brings this thing called data to obtain value for the business. And that's not a technical, you know, technological issue. It's an, an, and possibly it's technological for certain companies, but it's very much a, it gets down to an emotional part of the, the process because let's not forget that, you know, buying is still a very much of an emotional action. So you, there is no algorithm today that finally can push the button for you and you buy. At the end, you need to push the button. And again, there's the second of saying, is it because I want it or is it because, you know, uh, so going back to technological, it's a, I think there is a need for a, a omnicomprehensive view of what your company is. So if I wanted to, whatever is going to be the enabler for that, uh, definitely cloud is a big enabler, but I see more and more a value in pushing metadata management, pushing the understanding, the collection of what we now call uh, in, in more in the industry, the data intelligence to the nth grade. So, and the nth grade for me is literally understanding how and translating all these relationship between the different component and facets of the mechanism that we look at in this company, including people, uh, to a beautiful, you know, vi visible rela relationship model. And in the past, um, when I was saying that I wanted to do enterprise digital twins as my, <laughs> as my, you know, main armament and weapon, final weapon to win all the regulations to, and to deliver possibly a very comprehensive, very harmonized uh, data management, people were looking at me like, yeah, man, it's never going to happen. But nowadays, I mean, if you think about where we're going with the data meshes of the world, with the, all the, sorry, a bit of a battery issue. Okay where we are going to uh, the majority of the big players, they're basically understanding that the key is not in how fast in the system, but the key is in how interconnected is the system, how many relationships, how many connections, how many synapses, what you're looking at can give you so that you understand what are the intimate relationship with everything you have around. You can start to do precise attribution value, precise attribution of, of causality and so on. So that's where I think overall, I, I will say that technically, I would like myself to, you know, be extremely more proficient and I will encourage people to look into. Mm, that makes perfect sense. So now that we treated that, that aspect, the, the, the technique, right? So mm. let's move on to people. What, what you said about sales, this is, I mean, I'm saying sales because when you say people making decisions, well, sell, you always have to sell an idea. I mean, actually being a, being a, a data leader, it's about selling data to senior management, to your business users, to all stakeholders, you know, even to your, your, your customers, your data-driven way of working. Now, what, do you, what have you identified over your career 
as the bottleneck in terms of people understanding and embracing data? And I know it's a big question, so maybe we can, you know, uh, uh, pick it apart, but just <laughs> off the cuff. I know, I know, I know, I might be throwing you a curveball, not because you wouldn't know the answer, because it's such a huge question, right? But just off the cuff, how would you start even approaching this problem? Well, the and funny, uh, not funny. So the it's it's something that I try to code in my data excellence approach because it's based on three pillars, and the first pillar is all about culture, and not culture in terms of uh, oh, you need to be literate literate about data because sometimes when you go into the people, well, I'm gonna t- give you a bit of data literacy, they will un- they will uh, kind of uh, interpret. So are you telling me I'm an illiterate? And it might, they might not be in the right frame of mind to receive the message. To your point, the story might bounce. Uh, so, so the I, I guess culture in, in understanding what are the behaviors and the beliefs and the customs that today are detrimental to good use of data, good management of data, extracting good value out of data, and trying to connect that to you know, creating stories, creating uh, the uh, the, the examples, creating the metaphors, because I'm a big believer in metaphors, because metaphors are usually pictures and uh, brains are, um, at least I'm a more of a visual person. For me, pictures are important and uh, and pictures usually are, uh, are worth a thousand words. So that's where you're trying to work first. So, and the first, the, the most difficult thing in in data for people to understand, or it's, and it's not difficult to understand, it's actually, uh, there are, misconception so there are misconceptions around uh, data quality so what is, is data quality i go into a system i run some rules and i see things are wrong and i'll fix them yeah the problem is that if you don't ask the person that at the end of the chain of many system will actually consume the data whether what you've done is good or wrong or, or right or wrong you're never gonna win right so there there is a, a we don't help ourselves as data leaders because we are being waddling in a lot of jargon like everyone else. And we, we, we love, you know, creating new jargon and we love to sometimes show off. Right? So because but that's not just us. Every profession does that, right? You, I don't wanna, you don't want to get to the level of the masons, but I mean, every profession has got their own language, secret language, secret handshake. So that's something that you need to be, as long as you're conscious of that, and as long as you, as you were saying before, beautifully in your, uh, uh, in your, uh, uh, you know, three murti or, <laughs> or three, uh, trilogy of your of the the story, as long as the payload is nicely wrapped, right? I don't think there's a problem. So, and long, as long as you go, you know, parading around that you know what, uh, you know, for, uh, uh, random forest is, and people will understand that you're doing things randomly, which is not the right thing to. I mean, as long as you are able to. Uh, empathically and polytropically. So, I mean, you know that you need to tailor the message. I think it's fine. The issue sometimes is that we don't understand what is not understood. So, the issue sometimes is that you believe that you are communicating over and over again that definitional integrity is incredibly important. And people are saying, yeah, yeah, it is, it is important, it is important. And then the same people will say, okay, I'm, I'm actually asking now, 100 people in 100 different countries to send me customer orders by customer product, and you believe you're going to receive exactly that without saying anything else, then you understand that they didn't understand that definitional integrity is not is important because otherwise they will actually send a five pages long requirement. What is a custom? What is order? What is product? Right? And so 
the ability, inability sometimes or, or of going beyond the words you're receiving, the message you're receiving when, yeah, everyone will tell you data is incredibly important. Data is incredibly important. But what are you ready to do to demonstrate that you understand how important it is? What, how much you are ready to spend? And then we usually is a litman test to see whether what, where you are, you are on the same place. I resume basically the, the, the extreme synthesis of this is the uh, something that was coming from one of the most the the, probably the most powerful training we were having in G, which was called uh, change acceleration process cap mm -hmm. and was always saying ending always check for understanding check for agreement if you go to if you every single meeting every single discussion you're having you conclude with a check for understanding and you check for agreement so you know if we understand the same thing and you know if you agree on the same thing i think you you're you're fine but that's not an art that's not something like a sixth sense and that doesn't happen all the time so again the ambiguity sometimes hits us hmm this is so cool i never heard this so so cap change acceleration process right and then yeah. you check for understanding and you check for what was the second understanding check for agreement sorry it was Ag agreement agreement okay so understanding and agreement okay so uh i don't know can you give just a vague example of this so uh, yeah you can use anything yeah typical uh, so you know, um, the in companies, well, each one of us will probably go in, in the new companies that will try to establish a logical domain model, right? Why you do that? Because in the soup of data you're having around the company, you want to start to put a bit of order to start to assign responsibility to vectorize some priority. So, uh, but if you go in, in the, uh, the way you approach this is that, guys, we need a logical domain model. Yep. And... Um, we, we want to just separate data in uh, everything starts with an A, everything starts with B, everything starts with a C. Yep. But you don't check first, do you understand what the domain means, right? And you understand that domain is actually doesn't coincide with organizations, but it's, it's something different. It's a family of data. So you will end up six months after, one year after, having people using domain in a completely different manner, right? And having people not understanding it, ownership of data domain doesn't mean physical ownership, doesn't mean I have the data in my system, therefore I own it, but it's more like you own a concept for the company. You own the customer as a concept, uh, you own it semantically, because if we don't have the concept, we don't have a yardstick to go around the different systems and check whether that customer is compliant, conform or not then yeah, that's the typical example. So we, you didn't check for an agreement that uh, an understanding that understood and you didn't agree that based on that logical data domain, then roles would have been uh, you know, assigned, tasks would have been executed and outcome should have been achieved, right? So that, that's one, but you have any time you get in a meeting with people and you don't do that, you can come out of the meeting with possibly something that two weeks after people will actually not recognize as the, the thing they agreed, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's just a, it's a very, very good practice to assure that as human beings, we are aligned in what we're trying to do because we know we're very creative and our brain is not like, it's not a computer. We'll uh, embellish with a, we'll, uh, you know, edit. So, and we'll reinforce our, our beliefs. Uh, so it's, uh, it's always a problem.
Mm, you mentioned jargon. And again, it's, it's one of those things. So I always talk about this crusade against jargon, you know, because one, one of these main problems that I identified, and we'll probably will have some thoughts about this, is that there is this perception problem of data analytics in companies. Because yes, we've been riding this wave of the trend for what, like a decade now, right? Everyone loves it. Even more. Yeah, exactly. You're younger than me. <laughs> if you're younger than me. <laughs> You've been around the block. You've been around the block. Uh, so uh, if you ask a business person, right, or should we do AI, machine learning? Oh, yeah, sure. Like AI machine sure, learning, yes. ev- everyone, everyone does it. Yeah. But then if you even just start scratching the surface of what that means, you just lost people. You know, there's this deep confusion. And again, when we talk about persuasion and influence, which is basically sales, these are almost synonyms, right? You sell an idea, you present an idea, you influence someone with an idea, you persuade someone about something. These are mean, mean the same. Now, I always said that when it comes to persuasion and even sales, right? Even those really negative emotions, like let's say, uh, um, antipathy or even hate is better than confusion. Confusion is the kryptonite yeah. to absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? You, you and, and that's funny you saying that because in I was having a little uh, gauge that I was using in the past to understand whether my persuasion or influence was at the right level. And it's a bit like you know the uh, the state of the motion you go through when you have bad news, you know denial. So I know that and. Until people are just nodding, yeah, 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 yeah. They completely don't understand, right? The moment in which things are start to turning is when people start to challenge. Because to challenge, you need to understand what's going on and you don't agree. And then you know that, okay, now we're getting somewhere. And it's funny because it's exactly that. You, you want to start, if people are not seeing, when they're starting to challenge, it means that understand in reality what it means for them and my have an a emotion. So you then ride that emotion and you try to go from the challenging to, okay, now we agree. Again, we check, we agree, <laughs> and we go together in the same place. But it's very, very true. Yeah, and, and also, uh, uh, now that you mentioned this, that when, you, when they start to challenge you, that's a good sign. So most of the sales and persuasion literature that's out there, like 99% is garbage. But then there is that 1% that actually knows what it's talking about. And a lot of people ask, you know, when you, when, when you go through this whole process of, hey, I have an idea, I have an image in my mind, and I want to uh, transfer that image. I want to show other people that image. But by the way, not to go again too deep into philosophy, but even if we dig down to what communication is, in essence, it was Wittgenstein who broke it down. This was his life's work of what is communication? What is this thing of, of, of human beings uh, communicating with each other? And it comes down to, as you said, also you're a visual thinker, but ultimately everyone is at least to some degree a visual thinker because when you have a message in your mind, it comes together as some form of an image. And your goal in communication is nothing but to make that person see what you see. That's it. And good storytelling, show not tell, right? And in data, the problem is that the things you see, the thing we see, are not seen yet most time. So mm-hmm. then not, not kind of, well, let's call it mainstream, right? And so how you do that? And one powerful thing that I found out, and as, um, I'm, I don't know if you watch the film Memento. Oh, right. oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, 20th okay. anniversary edition. I have it on, I have it on the shelf. <laughs> and the other, the, the, then the follow-up in terms of, a, I think, philosophical approach from the same uh, director, Inception. Right? So if you look at, if you look at exactly what Inception apps happens is that it's the, the idea I've got, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, I'm not going to tell you the idea. I will have someone else, in this case, with the dream or someone in the dream. But 
if you if someone you you trust is somebody you know already is going to come and tell you look this is a quite a good idea and then roberto happens to voice the same thing and you're convinced it's a good idea and actually after a couple of weeks you come to me and you will tell me how good of an idea have you got and that idea is effectively was planted or was kind of a massage or was out there for you to pick but autonomously not forcefully you will have the best result in, in influence that you can achieve when instead of what usually people do when you go to them with your idea and say ah that's rubbish because it was originally kind of my idea I would say that's a fantastic idea let's put it in place so you create an instant bond with this person because now oh gosh i have someone appreciated me and uh, <laughs> and someone is truly appreciating it's understanding so achieving that takes a little bit of a work and it takes it is not done in a, with a malicious intention right uh, and of course i mean we are all superheroes and we do things for the good of humanity uh, but it takes uh, it takes a bit more of a, an art because as you're saying uh, communication is so important and it's so tricky that i remember the first lecture uh, the first lesson i had from someone i talked really day two in my data job i was asking what should i do like you were saying well technically should i put more cloud I said no get yourself a communication expert get yourself a communication expert and by the way he said not a person that does powerpoints like that's not a communication expert you want a person that basically structuring your data campaign as a media campaign then you're launch, launching a new product and you have your channels you have your intent you have your your messages you have your your audit your your audiences and everything is so structured that you basically are having a viral campaign in which the company thinks about data even before you go there and talk to to them about data that's that's how you manage communication for data but that's how you manage communication for any change right because that's change is tough and communication is is the vehicle mm. and i didn't expect that you will mention uh, inception right uh, but i'm glad you did right again you didn't prepare it but <laughs> I'm glad you did because that's actually one of my favorite movies. I mean, there are some popular movies out there that uh, uh actually if you scratch the surface it's pretty they are pretty superficial. You know, I don't want to alienate a lot of the audience, but No, 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 don't, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm I'm not going to bring examples, right? Uh but uh Inception is one of those that's super popular, high profile director Christopher Nolan, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, like really uh, the Tom Hardy, really good lineup and the message is actually profound and philosophically sound. Christopher Nolan is 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 a smart guy, you know. And there are so many layers to that movie. Now if we just look at it from a communications perspective, such a cool idea. Just a very short executive summary for those who might be listening and haven't seen the movie. It's basically about getting a high-level uh, uh, decision maker <laughs> make a decision in your favor, and the whole movie is about implanting that idea through a dream, which sounds you know kind of wacky, but it's a brilliantly executed cinematic vision. And what what are the takeaways for data leaders in this? Well, Home, homework for people in case they're not seen it <laughs> tonight. Go and find Inception, one of your uh, whatever streams you're using. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's enjoyable and educational at the same time. And you, you need to have a notepad. You need to have a notepad. <laughs> you need to annotate things, otherwise you get lost. Just uh, yeah. Exactly. Go, go. It's Sorry. definitely worth watching multiple times too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, the the key takeaway for data leaders in this sense is that the way the, the reason why this works, it's a huge decision that the guy needs to make, and they implant the idea through a dream, is because 
they appeal to the, the guy's personal story. They go down right. into the core of his emotions, like what drive him from beneath the surface. And then he basically makes the decision himself. So all, all the, again, if, if you want to look at how this is relevant is as a data leader, challenge me as always, if you'd like, one of your main goals is to translate between the language of uh, uh, data and the language of the business, right? And that translation process is basically letting go. So this is what requires a lot of humility also for data leaders, because you guys are smart, you know? It data. is. Yeah. So, so it so, is. So, no, no, no. Yeah. Sorry, the last one. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was just saying that you guys are smart and you, you know these complicated concepts. You know what data can do. And you almost have to give that up and then just connect to the business user, like watch the world through their eyes and start speaking into that instead of connecting to your abstractions, right? So much so that two things here. One, uh, the, if you don't have at your disposal a technology to go in someone's dreams, uh, which is unfortunately very expensive these days, uh, you can always go to the next best, which is tell, make sure that one of their friends tells that, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, that's another thing. There's a, philo a Swiss philosopher that was saying, uh, 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 truth cannot be learned, something like that, but can only be... Uh, um, can only be absorbed by contagion. So if I'm giving you a lecture, that lecture, if that lecture is not reinforced by one of your friends saying, wow, that was very good, I understood that. And uh, actually how interesting was that point? That's an enforcement, right? If it's just because you might have walked out of the room saying, thinking, well, whatever. Um, instead, having a friend of yours that says, well, but that was, uh, it makes you, oh, wow, that was having some value. Similarly, so the second point from business point of view, you're so right in saying that we need to translate because if I go to my CEO and say, hey, yesterday I fixed 50,000 address, customer addresses in one day. I mean, I might be nominated for the Oscar of data management, but I'm, I will have more, no more than a meh from my, <laughs> from my CEO, right? But if I go to them and say, hey, yesterday I fixed 50,000 data addresses of my customer and from tomorrow, your collection team will be 20% more efficient. And therefore, you're probably going to see a much better return from the, your activity of collection. Ah, now I'm translating in business terms. And it, it takes intimacy from, a, it takes, you know, me being humble enough to sit down with people in collection and knowing what they're doing to articulate a sentence. But that as a sentence becomes much more powerful and buys me a seat at the next conversation where people will be wanting to have strategy enabled by data because now they understand the connection. You see, back to the word, what we're saying in terms of technicality, we, we, turn, we return to the technical thing. If I have the ability to connect, I actually can translate now. So here where the technology helps me to talk to the business because I can see a relationship between my, how good is, how better is my data in this piece and how better is the process, how better is the value, how better is revenue there. So that, that's pretty powerful. Mm. And because usually we talk about, uh, again, the leadership element, like what kind of qualities you need to demonstrate as a, as a data leader, humility always comes up. And, and these are yeah. the reasons. Also, at the same time, you need to be assertive. You need to have the vision and drive it forward. A lot of people think that these are mutually exclusive. Oh, am I going to be humble or am, am I going to be assertive? Well, the answer is that that needs to be You're an be flexible. Book. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be flexible. You're going to flex. There are moments to be 
And actually, we did uh, we did a training uh, uh, a while ago where you were having more of a voice. It's kind of a drama uh, classes associated to business, and they were asking us to recite uh, the Henry the Third speech to the uh, or Richard the Third, sorry, speech to the uh, to the the troops. And in that speech, you will find all the different type of um, type of leadership or type of communication a leader should have. So you have the assertive. You have the more like the uh, the one the, the 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 empathic. You're having the collaborative because you, I think you can play all the roles. You can be humble, but it doesn't mean that you need to bend every time someone is asking you to change your mind, right? To change to or to or change your mind on on, on a dime. I mean, it's it's definitely um, you can be coherent and you can be at the same time in listening mode and you can be at the same time directive at the same time it's part of a, a personality of someone and 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 i think is in communication and in leadership has to be seen like the color you can switch between uh, in in your signaling methodology and that's uh, that's definitely definitely something that people will appreciate because someone is in in, in physics they say if there is no gradient there is no communication, right? So if you like, like always the same gray. I mean, there is there is no understanding what's going on. So you you need also to maintain such an interest to be a bit, uh, you know, variable in what you're communicating. Mm, so true. And uh, we talked about this with uh, Pete Pete Williams from uh, Penguin Random House. You probably know Pete. You know, yeah, I was yeah. with him at a round table literally last week. Yes. Okay, good, good stuff. So, he was telling me, you are a legend, but I don't understand what your company does. And like, then I explained him again. So, <laughs> good, through good, good storytelling. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a case study. You know, you have the relationship and then you, you convey the story through that. So, yeah, Pete is great, uh, of course. And we're actually recording a data story with him. And um, we talked about this. Like, as a, as a, as a data leader, you have these these dual roles. So first you are a visionary and an architect. You need to build things. Okay. That's, that, that's maybe, you know, where the technical and technological yeah. stuff comes in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and in that sense, you, you need to be really well-versed in technology. You need to be able to build that's one posture. And then the other posture is what he coins as the data conciliarge, right? The trusted advisor in the business, who's an ambassador, oh, the, the data therapist, right? Yeah. The data therapist, <laughs> and the data therapist as well. Like, like very, very, very human. So, in that sense, if you uh, think about these different postures, you're being perceived in multiple ways from the business. Now, um, a quick question on this, because I also want to quickly explore uh, that apart from culture, you mentioned that culture is the first pillar of your data excellence recipe. Mm-hmm. I want to know the, the second and third, right? But uh, in an ideal world, how do you think that the, the data function, data analytics is perceived in the business and also you as a data leader? So if, again, if we exercise some empathy, how do you think you're being perceived and looked at? What kind of position you have in the company as a data analytics function, if that question makes sense. The position, the position changes because of the effect of the techne and the, uh, the applied leadership of the, uh, the data leader. So you, I, call, I now speak all the time about the three Ds of the chief data officer, right? You start with the first D, which is dashboard. So you achieve, when you go in, you are a chief dashboard officer because that's your exp- the expectation out there is, give me the more dashboards. Why? Because more dashboards the better, right? But then you you educate people and they understand that behind the dashboard, what is really important is data. So if data is not good, the dashboard is not good. So finally you transition to the second day, which is chief data officer. But where you want to get to 
is the third D, which is chief decision officer, because now we want to help them to understand what that data gives them in better for better decisions, how that data drives better decisions. So you create for them a causality between if you invest more in data in this place and make more, a better decision in the other place. We'll go back to the, what is the link? What is the relationship? And that's where you want to be perceived. You want to be perceived as someone is a support for decision, decision-making support. That's what I think is the next generation of chief data officer. They're going to be a mix of strategy, digital strategy, digital risk advisor, because let's not, let's not forget that with data, risks are coming. And some of these risks people are not seeing yet and or are seeing and are still saying, well, maybe it's too complex today. Let's do it tomorrow. Um, and so why? Because you want to drive the, the business change. You drive business change through decisions and strategic decisions that will actuate something in the business. And you need to help them to understand what's the effect of the decision. So there is all kinds of things you need to create in terms of the new perception. But at the beginning, the perception is very varied. If you, you just have to look in any of the job description you're having on, on the internet going around or, or uh, on LinkedIn or whatever, you literally sometimes look at some like 20 people wrote was you can you have the vision of this job description going from XCOM leader to XCOM leader. Each one of them was adding another bullet point. So I and should fix the search engine and should clean the kitchen and should do it and should be accountable for all the data quality issues on planet Earth and maybe Mars as well. So you see that the perception at the beginning is an issue, but if you work well, you probably as a maturity, as a journey, you bring them to the right place, mm. which is a, a place in which we collaborate in having better decisions. No, this, this, this makes a lot of sense to me. And then, so, so we looked at culture, right? You, you mentioned yes. in, in terms of culture that data literacy. So, so what you were saying, just, just so I get that right. So you, you said that uh, data literacy, you don't want to talk about it that way, but ultimately it is a part of culture, creating that data literacy, which we know it's our secret handshake in the, da in the data world, right? But that's not how you position it. But, but, but look, the, the CFO will have their own secret handshake with all the CFOs you know, around them. They, and they work on a best, better accounting, better technical controllership, better treasury, right? The same we're going to do with metadata, with quality, with, uh, you know, with references and management. But the... the but we shouldn't go and boast about it, right? We should demonstrate what's the value of doing that. So, the, but if the three pillars are completely coherent to what we were saying before, because if the first pillar is about culture, the second pillar is about changing the way we change, because the realization is that the behaviors are that we were discussing at the beginning that are, might be detrimental to data are reinforced when we do change. And what happens when we do big changes, big you know, transformation, we forget about data. Data is an afterthought. So the second pillar is about bringing back into the center or aligned to the rest of the change, the data perspective. So today you do a business requirement and function requirement, technical requirement, you should do a data requirement. Why not? You do a, you design for a, for a solution, you should design for data. You build a solution, you should build your conception model for data. Why not? And we should probably decide that you have an operating model at the end that will keep data as it is. So that's the second pillar is change the way we change. We, we do data by design, if you want to use another slogan. And then the third pillar, which is the consequence of it. So now the mindset is there. We are actually understanding what data is. We work for data. We, every day, every time we have a project, we change. The, 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 every project will fix a little bit more of data. 
And through that visibility, through that activity around data, we connect us to the value. So we get to understand where is the value. We are now measuring as good athletes that have been practicing, practicing and having now good regime, dietary regime and sleeping regime. We are now measuring the improvement of our personal best. And then the whole thing gets reinforced. So now understand what, what is the mechanism and now going to do more practice, more learning, more measurement of the results. And value is not only monet, monet, monetizing uh, the data that like everyone wants to do, want to sell data, but value for me is also reducing the issues you're having around the company in terms of data. So your operations are more efficient. Your customer experience is more seamless and your experience of a, an employee is better because let's not forget, uh, you don't want to have a customer lives in the 21st century and your uh, employees that are still dealing with the steampunk 19th century kind of a, you know, data environment, right? So, uh, so that, that's, those are the three pillars. Okay, that, that, that's really cool. So uh, basically, pair the culture and then change the way you do change management. So this data by design, is, is this, you know, a lot of these words are being thrown around, embedding analytics, in the business, putting data at the heart of the organization, right? Is that what we're talking about in the second period? No, we are talking. No, we are talking about every time you breathe, every ma- every make, every move you make, every every breath you take, you do something good for data, right? So, if if you are dealing with a, a system today and you are opening uh, lifting the bonnet, check if the system is having all the right referentials in place. Check whether the uh, there is conformity. Check if there is the privacy is respected. You know all, all the good things that you should do. But if you decide to do that at the company scale, people are <gasps> hyperventilating. Instead, doing that once every time you do a small thing, that becomes more a, a, an exercise. It's like practice in the gym. You every day you do twenty, you know, twenty press ups. In uh, in three months, you are uh, you know, Mr. Universe. Instead, if you go in the gym one day and you do 24 hours pressed up, you are going to go end up in the hospital. So that's, that's what we do sometimes. We, we do indigestion of data, data fixing and data, data remediation campaigns. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So consistency. And then last question, because I, I know, I mean, this just flew by, you know. I mean, I, I, it I, is. It is. Talk about these things forever. Um, how should you prioritize them what you do? Because... I mean, a company like you, like Schneider Electric, massive, right? You have so many opportunities to create value, to implement change. You have your own team to manage as well. So how do you prioritize well? How do you choose what to do every day? But this consistent action, how do you decide what to do next? Well, the, the recommendation I give to everyone, you need to go where it counts. You need to make changes where it counts. And where it counts, well, it's easy. You listen to what the CEO says, and that is usually articulated in an agenda of change that is percolated down to, you know, projects or uh, big initiatives. Then you need to go and paint those with the colors that, oh, this is important for data. Please, let's follow this. Please, let's insist on this one. And around that, you start to create, to, to practice these three, these three pillars. I think the, that or there is another uh, angle is, there must be some places in the company where people are screaming because things are so bad. And usually these people are ready to sell their nuns to the devil. And you might be another variation incarnation of the devil. So you go back, you might be a benign incarnation of the devil. So they might help. So they will be happy to, happy to be helped. So this, I think strategically where the change agenda of the company, that's where you make count. And tactically, when there are people screaming and, and tearing their hair, you go and help them. 
Fantastic. I think that's a wonderful note to finish on. Um, uh, Roberto, this was fantastic. I think we ventured to uh, uh, new depths that we actually never managed to go to so far. And uh, we actually had the recording button on. So maybe others can gain value from it as well. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for having me, Laszlo. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Likewise, and hope to have you on the show maybe in the future as well. Absolutely.